Ashley Dozier is the owner and founder of Anukit Luxury Apothecary. In 2016, after a decade-long career in public health and exiting an abusive relationship, she set out for some adventure. She went on a backpacking trip around the world that helped her discover a new passion for bringing exotic and luxury goods to those looking for something as outside of the box as she was. This episode, you will hear how traveling inspired Ashley to start her business, as well as how she built, scaled, and funded her business. Um, well, my mother was a teacher, but my sister, my older sister went into nursing. And so I've always loved the medical field. Um, so I got into specifically health education. I really liked the idea of um, teaching people how to stay healthy or be healthy um, instead of waiting until they get unhealthy and then trying to treat them. So I kind of did a combination of you know, my mother's career with education and my sister's career with nursing. Um, and I went into public health for those reasons. Yeah. And what was that like? What were you actually doing? Like, what was your day-to-day like when you were working in public health? Uh, so I did a lot of different things. Um, one was teaching at a university. I taught a health course uh, at the University of Florida. Uh, and then I ran the health education department for uh, Texas State University, uh, just south of Austin um, in San Marcos, Texas, and loved that. Um, really liked working in the public health field. Um, so I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to work at the CDC. So I worked at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And all that time I worked in kind of a variety of topics like sex education, because there's just a huge lack of it um, in our country. And um, I did a lot of obesity prevention and tobacco prevention. Uh, basically, the you know, things that are like top killers or things that I saw, you know, the most gaps um, in in what was needed for people just to be generally educated for prevention. Um, and so at the CDC, I worked in those programs to do, you know, uh, obesity and tobacco prevention all across the country. And it was an amazing program, but unfortunately got cut because of budgets. Uh, and so it was then that I finally realized that, you know, as, as much as I thought that was a um, risk-free track, you know, of, of being in those fields, um, that really any field you're in can have some risk with, budget cuts and, you know, job instability. And um, that's when I kind of decided to take things into my own hands. And when you say you took things into your own hands, what did that look like? What did you do? Uh, After losing my job at the CDC, that's when I started looking into working for myself. So um, I started, you know, with an opportunity that a friend introduced me to um, with a multi-sales marketing company. Um, still, you know, really respect the company and, and have my, my business with it. Um, I don't work it quite as much anymore, um, but I have loyal customers that, you know, I still love to help because it, it, they are great products. And um, then I started with my, um, and at my ex, now ex, obviously not at the time, um, started a medical sales company. Uh, he was doing medical sales. I got him into that field through some of my networking um, and he needed extra help with what he was doing. And so I started a sister company to help, you know, assist with some of the uh, larger accounts that he couldn't handle anymore um, and started working for myself that way too. And so, you know, it was kind of running multiple businesses and um, but realizing more and more what I did like and didn't like in terms of, you know, what I, what I was doing uh, and realized that I really needed to do something that I was very passionate about. And unfortunately, medical sales uh, at that time, what I was doing, the pharmaceuticals, um, just wasn't it. So I kept up with my other company, my skincare company, um, but then went through kind of a major life change um, at that point that 
that ex, that relationship, unfortunately, became abusive. I guess it had been abusive for a while, and I finally realized it um, and decided to make a big change, put everything I owned into storage, moved out of the home that we owned together, handed him the business, um, and I went and traveled by myself for four months to really rediscover myself, what I wanted to do with, you know, the rest of my life. Um, it was really one of those, my friends joke, it was my eat, pray, love moment. Um, but, you know, I just really wanted to kind of gain my confidence back, travel, uh, see, you know, new, uh, exper- or, you know, experience new experiences, um, see new places, meet new people, and really kind of start over, you know, with, with the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And how, how did you decide where you were going to go on holiday? How, did you always have it in the back of your mind that you were going to go to a certain part of the world or was it just you just felt a calling to go to wherever you went to? Um, I would definitely say it was more of a calling. I knew of a couple of places that I wanted to go. Uh, Australia had always been on my list. Um, Egypt had always been on my list and Paris had always been on my list. And so I figured, OK, what can I string together, you know, between all of those places? Um And that's what I did. And I really just followed my intuition the whole way because that was part of it was that I was trying to, you know, gain back the trust in my intuition since I had lost some of it, so much of it from being in a, an abusive relationship, you really start to lose trust in yourself. And so I decided I didn't want an itinerary. I wanted to kind of go with the flow, meet new people, talk to them along the way, ask where I should go next, you know, ask what things I needed to see or visit in that country. And um, it worked out really well that way. So I uh, ended up visiting, um, I was in 12 countries in total and was gone for about four months. Um, and like I said, no set plans along the way, uh, except a few countries and then deciding where to go in between. Yeah. So where did you end up going first? Um, I actually started because at the time I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, I actually started out in California for a while. Um, I stayed out there for a few weeks with an old friend um, just to kind of collect myself before, you know, wandering the world solo. Um, and I knew that starting there meant that I could get to Australia a lot easier from the West coast, um, of the States. So, uh, my first out of country trip, you know, was, um, all the way, you know, halfway around the world to Australia. Um, and I spent a, a few weeks there, which ended up being one of my favorite countries, um, for sure. So that was, that was an excellent one. Um, and then from there, I just kind of continued to hop around. Yeah. And when you hit Australia, what, what was your kind of plan? You said you're following your intuition, but you're like, right, I'm, I'm here to find myself. So did you go straight out to the mountains or did you kind mm-hmm. of see the cities? I, I'm always interested to see what people are like when they travel. Yeah, I I knew I at least had, you know, my first couple nights booked. So I knew I was going to um, the outback, you know, what they call the Red Center um, we call it the Outback. I was going to a place called um, Ayers Rock, which has, which is Uluru, is um, this beautiful place out there that I knew I wanted to visit. And so I started there. Um, it took me 24 hours of travel to get from California to Uluru. So it was quite the adventure, um, but it was absolutely beautiful once I got there. And I listened to what other people said while I was there and did like an uh, evening dinner out in the desert. Um, I did a morning, you know, sunset or a sunrise camel ride around Uluru. Um, and like I said, just kind of listen to what other people said I should do. And, you know, while I was there, um, and then from there I flew to Melbourne, uh, and that's when I really booked things as I went. I had no other flights or, 
you know, hotels or hostels or anything booked. Um, I really just asked people along the way where I should go next and, you know, what I should do. And I made an effort to make friends. I stayed in hostels on purpose because, you know, you can um, meet a lot of solo travelers that way. And uh, so I made friends from all over the world because there are so many people traveling, you know, alone and looking for other people to travel with just, you know, as they hop from city to city. And I would meet people and I would try to, you know, make an effort to meet locals so I could, you know, find out more about the city that way. Um, and it was excellent. I, you know, getting recommendations. I always tell people when you're visiting, you know, a, a new location to start asking locals where they go and what they do. And um, so it really put me in the mindset of, okay, I'm going to, like I said, just kind of follow my intuition, meet people, ask them where I should go next. And it led to such a unique adventure because of that and things that I've added to my itinerary along the way that I probably never would have learned from, you know, had I tried to plan ahead of time. Yeah. So you spent a week or two or maybe even a couple of weeks in Australia. Mm -hmm. And then from there, kind of after talking to a few people and deciding, okay, cool, I'm going to go to this place. Where did you decide to go? And, and what was that like? What was the journey like? Did you fly, drive, take a train, you know, because I know when you're on a, a shoestring budget, you kind of just take whatever transport you can get. Yeah, I, I do. And, and I was lucky that I had, you know, a little bit in savings and I was still working my business, uh, my, my skincare business, so I could work that from anywhere. Um, so I was lucky that I still had, you know, a little bit of income coming in and some money in savings. Um, but, uh, and I could kind of do that, you know, from anywhere. And since I had moved out of my home, I didn't have rent or anything like that. So any money that I would have used for my normal day-to-day, -day, you know, living back at home, um, I was now using for, you know, hostels and travel and, and all of that. And so um, I did have to piece it together as I went. Most of the time around Australia, I had to fly because it's kind of like the U.S. It's big and spaced out. Um, but there were, you know, smaller hopper flights, so they weren't horribly expensive. Um I, from Australia, I went over to New Zealand, had to fly there, of course. And then um, New Zealand to Singapore was a long flight. And then Singapore to Egypt, another very long flight. Uh, once I got over, you know, near like Northern Africa and Europe, I could start to do kind of smaller hopper flights or trains or buses and things like that. And so um, from then on, I was able to be a lot more flexible with the way that I traveled and, you know, finding just the next bus ride out of town kind of thing. And um, so it made it a lot easier as I got to places that had better public transportation for sure. And Europe is fantastic for that. I, I want to jump back a little bit and kind of mm -hmm. ask you about your skincare business, because I, I wasn't aware that you were running it while you were still traveling, which is amazing that you were able to work somewhat remotely. So talk me through the process of, of setting up and starting the skincare business. What made you start it? How did you find the product and all that kind of stuff? So that was actually my first business that was, um, with a multi-level marketing company. And so, um, it was, it taught me a ton about business. Like it taught me a ton about how to run my own business. I basically look at it as a franchise. They make the products. I sell their products through my website. Um, so it was fantastic for like learning how to do all of the social marketing and, um, using social media, you know, to promote myself and the products. Um, people would order from my website. They did the shipping for me. So I didn't have to do, you know, be there in person to do the shipping, um, but I was able to continue to, you know, sell my products and service all my customers that, that needed to continue with their skincare products while I was traveling. Uh, as long as I had an internet connection, which I did, you know, 95% of the time, there were a few times when I was in remote locations that that wasn't as possible. But, um, but it really, you know, I was, I was able to run it 
you know, while I was traveling, I knew every, every two or three days, I'd have to sit down for a couple hours and, you know, just get some work done. Um, And so I'd go find a pretty location to do that and bring my computer and get a little bit of work done and then, you know, continue moving along. Um, Like I said, I still have that business and I appreciate, you know, how much it taught me about business. Um, But that's what really allowed me, you know, after my travels, and I know we'll get there, but to to really, you know, truly open my own business instead of just that franchise type of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you're the first person I've heard speak positively about a multi-level marketing <laughs> um, system, which is, you know, or whatever the, the correct term is now. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting to me that, that that is worked out for you. I mean, I don't know how you went about marketing yourself, but a lot of people, what they tend to do is, you know, they'll buy in and then they'll buy a lot of the products and they can't shift it. But you're yeah. saying that you've done it this multiple times where, you know, you've actually got customers and you're not so much trying to bring people under you. You're like, no, I, I take the product and I'm going to sell the product to the people and, and that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think that that's just, you know, you have to get with the right company. You have to get with a company that truly, um, is not in it for like the boom and bust. A lot of multi-level marketing companies, you know, unfortunately, and I, I say that, you know, and say this carefully, but I don't always have, you know, the, the most respect for all of these companies either. I know a lot of people speak negatively about them because there are a lot of promises and, and things that, you know, are unreachable. Um, I think I was lucky enough to come in with the idea that, you know, this was going to be something that I could continue to do. And I made great money doing it. Um, But it wasn't, you know, it was something I could do on the side. Um, It was something I could do while traveling. It was something I could do while pursuing other dreams. Uh, So I looked at it that way instead of, you know, in the beginning, yes, I thought of the hype of, okay, what if I can do this and not have to work any other job forever? Um, which was fan- a fantastic thought, but that's not, once I got into the business, I realized that's not what I wanted to do with the business. Um, and so I did focus more on the products, which are phenomenal. They're developed by doctors, by dermatologists. So they're phenomenal products. Um, I really believe in the products. I'm a user of them myself. You know, I, I would never sell something, like I said, that I'm not passionate about, which is why I got rid of my pharmaceutical medical sales company. Um, I've kept this company because I do believe, you know, I kept this business with this company because I do believe in the products. And I think that's where, you know, the difference is, um, they, like I said, they stock the products, they make the products, they ship out the products for us. You do not have to buy everything ahead of time. I think that's where people really get into a bind with these companies as they spend thousands and thousands of dollars buying all this product up front and then they can't sell it. They're stuck with, you know, all this inventory. Um, and luckily this company decided to do it differently from the beginning. And so I was never in, put in that position. Um, this was something that I truly, you know, could be a digital nomad and I could work from anywhere. Yeah. And so while you're living your, your best digital nomad life, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, went from Australia to New Zealand to Singapore, and then you ended up in Egypt. Tell me about the things that happened along the way from Singapore to Egypt or from, you know, New Zealand to Singapore, were there any kind of standout moments or stories is, you know, you're a a solo female traveler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely got a lot of, um, a slack from my friends that were like, what are you doing? You know, it's not safe. You're going to all these places. Nobody knows where you are. Um, and I, I mean, for me, I was at that point where I needed to take those risks because like I said, I was trying to build confidence in myself again. So I needed mm. to, you know, experience these things and realize that I can stand on my own two feet. I can, you know, be by myself and um, make these decisions of where I need to go. And so I, I mean, those experiences were amazing. I met amazing friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Um, 
got to do things, you know, in Australia, I got to go snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef, you know, and go on a sailboat cruise through the Sundays, which are considered the most beautiful beaches in the world. I mean, these are things that I just wouldn't have had the chance to do, you know, had I not gone out on this adventure. Um, Singapore is a beautiful, beautiful city. I tell people, you know, to try and visit there at some point because they're, it's very, very clean. You know, you'll never, you'll never see a large city that clean, um, beautiful city. And then Egypt is where, you know, a lot of my friends really were like, is that safe? You know, going to an African um, country in the, near, near the Middle East um, by myself as a blonde woman, um, I stood out. And, um, but I, you know, talked to people before I went. I had a great friend that lived in Atlanta that was from Egypt and she connected me with her cousins um, in Egypt and they, you know, introduced me to um, like a driver that could, you know, help me get around the city. And they invited me over to dinner one night. Um, and so I had to ha- got to have dinner with an Egyptian family. I mean, it was, you know, her and her sister and her parents and everything. And like, that's not an experience that most people get to, you know, go into an Egyptian family's home and have a traditional Egyptian dinner um, with them and learn about, truly learn about them and their culture and everything. And um, so those are things that, you know, you just can't do if you are too cautious. Um, you have to take a little bit of risk and get out there and, and uh, you know, really try and experience things differently than your typical travel where you go to an all-inclusive resort and never leave the property, you know? Yeah, because I, I think there's, I don't know who said it, but I've heard it before where people go, well, people say, you know, oh, it's not about seeing the sites because the, the people is what makes the, the country or the city or, you know, that place what it is. So you need to actually meet the people as best yes. you can when you're traveling is what I've heard. I literally got goosebumps when you said that because it's what I believe the most. I mean, that's for me, I'll, I'll tell you a funny quick story of, you know, while I was in Egypt and I had this driver that was, you know, taking me to some of the, the, um, pyramids and temples and things. And on the way back to, you know, my hostel, I said, do you mind stopping at, you know, just somewhere for me to pick up some food to take home with me so I, you know, can eat before I like just have it with me before I get there. And he said, ah, yeah, of course, no problem. So he pulls into a KFC. <laughs> and I just, I like giggled to myself, you know, and I was like, okay, I appreciate that you're trying to make me feel comfortable. Um, but I need something that you would eat. Like I wouldn't even <laughs> eat KFC at home. No offense, yeah. KFC. But you know, I'm, I try not to eat fast food, and um, that's where the health educator in me comes out. Um, but you know, I said, uh, you know, what's something that you would eat? Like, where's your favorite place to eat? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if you would like it. And I said, just get me whatever you would eat. Um, when I travel, I tend to be vegetarian because I'm very picky about the meats that I eat at home. So right. for me, it's okay. just a lot easier overseas to mm. to kind of go that route. Um, and so I said, Get me, find me a vegetarian dish that would be like your favorite. Um, and he brought out something. He's like, okay. And he pulled into another little parking lot and, you know, ran in the store, the store and brought out something called koshari. And koshari is like one of my favorite dishes ever now. Um, okay. What, what is in koshari? Oh, gosh. It's a carb fest. Um, it is uh, macaroni. It is lentils, chickpeas. Um, another kind of pasta and then it has crispy onions on top and this like amazing tomato based kind of peppery spiced sauce um, poured over the top of it. Uh, it's amazing. Just like the texture, the crunch and the, you know, creaminess of the sauce and everything. Um, but I fell in love with it instantly. And I even, uh, you know, have served it at parties that I've held, you know, back here in Florida. Now I've found an Egyptian restaurant 
just to get that dish to serve people because I'm like, more people need to know about this because it's so good. And I never would have found that, you know, had I not been talking to a local and asking him to take me, you know, where he eats his favorite meals. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, that's amazing about traveling is that you can kind of, you know, like you said, you find these bits of food or these, these experiences or these whatevers and you go, Oh, I I want that day to day now. I want this to be part of my (laughs) life. And one thing that you said is that you went out there and you actually ended up kind of liking the smells or the perfumes of, (laughs) of Egypt. So how did you kind of get to, to that, I like that part of finding out, you know, you like perfume, Egypt has good perfumes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was a, an interesting uh, uh, kind of, now I look back and see the serendipity of it. But um, one of my guides one day uh, had a fantastic guide who, um, a lot of the Egyptian guides are Egyptologists. And so right. they literally, you know, can tell you anything about the history and culture of Egypt. And he asked me on our way back to um, my cruise ship, because I did a cruise down the Nile River, which I never would have done had somebody in Cairo not said, well, are you doing a cruise? And I said, I hadn't thought about it, but sure, you know. And so uh, in one of my ports, um, my guide said, would you like to stop at a perfumery? And I, at first I said, I was like, uh, because I actually um, get really severe headaches from fragrances, from perfumes mm. and such. I've never been able to wear, you know, much scent um, because I, I suffer from migraines. And I, at first I was really nervous, but then I kind of thought about it. And he said, you know, it's just where we sell all of our fragrance oils and everything. And I said, you know what, let's, like I said, I'm here to experience everything. I, I, you know, he's like fragrance is a huge part of Egyptian culture. And so I said, let's go. Um, While I was there, they started pulling out all these beautiful, beautiful fragrance oils and lavender and eucalyptus and all these things that like we know and love, um, which I appreciated. But I said, is there anything that I wouldn't be able to get at home? Because I love eucalyptus, but I can get mm. it at home. Is there something a little more rare or a little more Egyptian? And they brought out papyrus oil. And papyrus, right. I know we all think of papyrus as what they wrote on because they did use the reeds to flatten them out as paper. Um, I had no idea that it you could get you know pull oil out of it for a fragrance, but it. I mean, to say it was life changing now is is you know a a very minor statement, but um. Truly, even in that moment, just smelling it for the first time, my gut was like, what is this? It was Mm. one of those things that you're just like, this scent is spectacular. How have I never smelled this before? Um, I bought a ton of it. I sent it back home to the U.S. because I didn't want to continue carrying it around with just my backpack. Um, I wore a little bit of it here and there. But when I got home to the States and started wearing it everywhere... Uh, the questions about it were amazing. People were constantly asking me what I was wearing, where I got it from. Um, and that's one of those things I was like, I- I'll, I'll get more, you know, and I went online to find more and realized you couldn't get it in the U.S. It was oh. not available as pure papyrus oil anywhere in the U.S. Um, a little light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, people really like this stuff. They should be allowed to experience it because, you know, it just, again, it's something I'm passionate about. So I said, I'm just going to start importing it and selling it to friends and family and people who ask me about it. Um, and I did. It took me a while to get that system set up, you know, to get it imported and get it over here. And um, But I started just put, putting it in little tiny bottles and selling it to my friends the same way I had sold other things, you know, through social media and whatever. Um, but man, the just the feedback and the impact and everything was huge. And that's what 
you know, really led me to say, okay, I've found something new that I'm passionate about and that I can really do something with. Um, and that's how I literally, how I started my new company. Yeah. And how did you go about, cause obviously when you were there and you're buying heaps and heaps of it, you didn't need to worry about how can I get this when I'm in America? Cause you thought I've got enough to last me a while, but once you wanted to actually start importing the papyrus oil, yeah. how did you go about finding a supplier that was willing to ship at a cost that you could afford and all that kind of stuff? And also, how did you fund this? Um, I completely bootstrapped my entire business. So funding wise, I started the whole business with $500. Um, I got back in touch with the perfumery that I had visited while I was there because the name was on the bottle. And so I did some research, got back in touch with them. It was not easy. They're not online. They don't sell online. You know, they're sending an email was kind of odd. They finally were like, let's just talk through WhatsApp and sent me a number. And I was like, okay, you know, and, um, it took a while to really get that communication, you know, set up so I could talk to them regularly with the time change and the, the language, you know, barriers and everything, um, and financial barriers. Um, I still, to this day, like you can't just pay with a credit card to order this, you know, I have to wire them money. And, um, because it's, they don't have the same kind of financial systems that we do here in the States. Um, so it's definitely not an easy thing to get your hands on. Uh, whenever my shipments come in, the return address on it literally says remote location, Egypt. <laughs> um, so I, I joke with people that, you know, it really is out in the middle of nowhere in Egypt. Um, but you know, I, I was determined to do this and to set this up. Um, I took, you know, what I had left of savings and purchased, you know, those first few bottles, um, shipping is outrageous, but that's, I just chalk it up to cost of business. Um, it is what it is, you know, to get that product over here, but um, it's coming from a family-owned perfumery in Egypt. And so I really see that as, you know, a huge bonus of supporting this small perfumery. Um, and people can also support my small business at the same time. So it's really, you know, you're really helping multiple families when you purchase. And I loved that idea of, you know, kind of providing something unique, but also something, you know, that I've always liked to shop small businesses. And so being able to help them while I grew my own small business was just really cool to me. How long have you had the business for? We just celebrated our three-year anniversary this past summer. Um, we had a little anniversary party. That's where I served the kosherie to all of our guests because I wanted them to be able to you know, truly feel that Egyptian spirit. Um, right. And um, But it, it was fantastic. We've grown the business so much in three years from that one single product of papyrus oil to uh, six different fragrances that we carry now, still all imported from that same perfumery. Um, and then we've expanded to like self-care items and fragrance diffusing jewelry and all these other cool things that, you know, offer more ways for people to enjoy these fragrances. Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next is in talk, talk to me about the process of scaling up. Cause I'm thinking there's no way she's been selling just papyrus oil for three <laughs> years. And you said you've expanded out. So let's say day one, you've kind of gone, right. I'm going to contact the perfumery. I'm going to import the papyrus oil. Month one, you've maybe sold some of it and you're still looking at yourself a bit like, damn, was this the right idea? But, you know, what was six months in and a year in and two years in? What, what did that look like? And obviously, you know, we won't, we won't say it too loud, but the pandemic did, <laughs> did happen. So oh, yeah. tell, me, tell me about what that was like, the early stages of, of this business. So my first year was before the pandemic, like that, you know, yeah. and uh, that's when the I normal times. Kind of, yeah, normal times. <laughs> <laughs> selling it um, a little bit of wholesale, you know, at some different 
um, like boutiques and a haberdashery and a salon around, you know, my area in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, and, you know, really starting to like that idea of, okay, if I continue to wholesale, um, you know, to all these different stores, my products can get out there because it's a fragrance, it's in front of people, they try it and they fall in love like I did. Mm. Um, so I really started with just that papyrus oil, but then expanded to the other fragrances. That was our first expansion, um, was to the six different fragrances. And that's when the pandemic hit. Um, I immediately realized, okay, all these stores that I was selling to are now closed. So I've got to come up with something different. Well, everybody was shopping online. Uh, so I found a way to <laughs> create a fragrance company or turn it into an e-commerce brand. Um, that's when I built my website and I built it all myself using Shopify. Uh, I started hiring social media interns to help me you know, really start to promote the business um, because I had to find ways to get in front of people, you know, th when I wasn't physically in front of them. Yeah. Um, I began to experiment with some other products, you know, some of the self-care kind of stuff. Um, we began making hand sanitizer and infused it with the papyrus oil because everybody needed hand sanitizer at the time. Of course, yeah. And so we said, okay, this is a product, you know, and it's still one of our top sellers because it's just, you know, a great product that serves a purpose, but actually leaves your hands smelling lovely like the papyrus instead of, you know, with that, the alcohol sterile kind of smell. Um, yeah. And so I just kind of saw, you know, continue to see opportunities as we went and said, okay, you know, these are the next things that we need. These are the next things we expanded um, to a beard oil, to a hair oil, um, just products that our customers were asking us for. We'd listen to our customers. Um, and when they say, okay, I want more ways to use this product, you know, or I want a candle, like we now are working with a candle making company to, to try and get candles in production. And um, so really, we listen to our customers and have continued to expand based on that. So after year one, we created our website, and, you know, really pushed through social media and e commerce. Um, once things got back to somewhat normal, um, we were able to do pop up markets and in person markets and things like that again. Uh, so that my business was able to grow significantly, you know, during those times. Um, and now we're back to focusing on wholesale again, to be able to get the products into, you know, in front of people, um, where they are. Uh, so they can still always order online, but you know, what to have them at, you know, these amazing boutique resorts around the world or these spas or, you know, just these niche little places that they can find these products. Um, it really makes them continue to feel special to our customers um, because we've been asked by some larger companies, you know, to stock them. And that's not what we want to do. We want this to be, you know, really a luxury, um, that people can, you know, I always talk about it as, um, an accessible luxury. So people, it's a luxury that people can still afford, you know, for the most part, um, with our products, but, um, I want it to still feel special for them. I want it to be something that, you know, is very unique and people appreciate that little like bit of luxury in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And, you're the you know the sole founder of this business you're the only person that's really making the the big decisions yes. so how did you come up with the other products because obviously the papyrus oil is already what it is how did you kind of pick out right we want to do this and this and mix this with that was it a, a long process because of all the having to import backwards and forwards like i'm wondering how that that also worked so some of it um i created the products myself and this is just where i thankfully joke, you know, have joked all my life that I'm a Gemini. And so I'm both right brain and left brain. I love the business side of things, but I also love the creative side of it. Um, 
and then the science side of it goes along with that. And so I was able to kind of create some of our own products um, based on best practices. Um, and then our hair fragrance, for example, um, we teamed up with a hair care company and you know spoke with them about what products should go into that to be healthy for the hair, um, but then infusing it with our papyrus oil so that it could be something that was a hair oil, but also a hair fragrance at the same time. Um, so a lot of it, like I said, was listening to you know our customers, um, hearing things that they they want and they need, um, and then also listening to our wholesalers. It was actually you know one of our wholesalers wholesalers that said you know would you consider making a beard oil because you know he owned a men's store haberdashery he needed kind of the you know more men's products um, while all of our scents are considered unisex um, you know I I don't niche them down and say that they're, you know, specifically for one sex or the other, because everybody has their own personal preferences for what they like for fragrance. Um, mm -hmm. But products wise, you know, men needed more, more beard oil and more products that are going to help them um, kind of take care of themselves. Men forget that, that self care is, you know, not a bad thing that they, that they need to do it. And, and um, so we had a, a haberdashery owner ask us for, uh, you know, a beard oil. And so we started working on that. So I kind of just expanded as people, you know, asked for products. Um, I would go to other small businesses to work with them, you know, as much as I could, um, because I really believe in collaboration that way. Um, so really, yeah, it was kind of listening and learning along the way. And I did have to make a lot of decisions myself. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a now fiance um, who is fantastic and helped me. He's also a small business owner. So he helped me, you know, learn tons along the way as well. Um, on kind of how to source products and and um, the next steps to take. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder if this is something that your fiance has helped you with, or this is something you did prior to you guys getting together. But what was it like getting you know in front of those um, distributors and you know collaborating with other businesses? Because a lot of people might start a business and go, well, I've got a couple sales, but I want to grow. I don't know how to grow. Where do I look? How do I find these types of people? And obviously, you've been there and done it. And everyone's route is different, but maybe your route might help them. Yeah, it's funny because that you say, you know, if this is something that my fiance helps with, because, man, he helps me with a lot of things for my business. But this is the one thing that I help him with. <laughs> because <laughs> I am a social person by nature. I mean, I clearly, you know, I traveled and met people. And, and so I love just talking to people um, and learning what they do and seeing if there's a way, if, if there's any kind of way that we can help each other out. So anytime mm. I meet somebody and they do something that I'm like, I can find a way for us to work together. You know, I would love to work with you somehow. Let's find a way to do it. Um, so it really came down to joining networking groups in my area, um, women's business groups and entrepreneurship groups and things like that. Um, believe it or not, on Facebook, I met a ton of people and some like, you know, female business owners groups on Facebook. Um, and I've worked with a lot of them that way. Uh, other than that, boots on the ground. I mean, I am willing to walk into any store that I see would be a good fit for our products and, and talk to them. I was just out in Napa recently and walked into a few boutiques while I was there. And I was like, this place would do amazing with my products. It's the perfect fit. You know, the atmosphere, the aesthetic, everything is perfect. Our clientele is walking in here daily. And I would walk up and just ask, you know, can you tell me, are you the owner or the buyer by any chance? And they'd say, no, I'm the manager, but I can get something to the owner. And I said, perfect. I'm going to leave you with my card and a sample. I always have a sample on me. That's just being a good business owner. Um, 
And I'd say, you know, I'm going to leave you with a card and a sample and, you know, I'll follow up later, but I would love for you to pass this along uh, and see if this is something that, you know, we can work together on. And I've gotten our product in a few places just based on, on that. Um, you have to really not be scared just to reach out and talk to people. The worst thing they can say is no, and it doesn't matter. You know, that you're going to hear a lot of no's um, or you're not even going to, it's going to be crickets, um, but that's okay. Like it's okay to not hear an answer. You just have to keep going and keep asking questions. And eventually, you know, you'll get people who are saying yes. And those yeses are, are what matters at that point. Yeah. It's funny how you, you said at the beginning of this conversation, you went on that traveling trip to find yourself. <laughs> and you know you you did this to, as a as a means to kind of detox from the the terrible situation you'd been in for however many years with, with your ex partner, and from that time when you were actually trying to heal yourself, you ended up making your own kind of way to spread that 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 feeling that you got if that makes mm -hmm. sense like you, mm -hmm. you got a positive feeling while you were out on that trip and now through your fragrance company or, or through your fragrance products you're still spreading that same joy. I'm not sure if that's something that you've ever considered or thought about. Um, I hadn't much, I just got goosebumps again. I hadn't much, um, but I will tell you just a few weeks ago, I got the kindest email from a customer that I didn't know um, that just said, you know, first of all, thank you. Your products are beautiful. Like, thank you just for that. Um, and she told me a brief story of how like 30 years ago, her grandparents visited Egypt, brought back some perfume for her mom. They never knew what it was. It was just in a beautiful little bottle. Um, but her mom had been using it sparingly for special occasions here and there for years. And uh, whenever they opened my products and I had added a sample of the papyrus oil in there because she ordered a different product, but I always send people a sample of that papyrus oil because I just believe that everybody should experience it. Um, they opened it and immediately said, this is, I solved a 30 year mystery for them. This is what they had been using all those years and they didn't know what it was. Um, that kind of thing for me, like means the world. I mean, that for me, you know, she signed her the email with, you know, thank you so much for bringing this joy into my life. And that's the kind of thing for me that is exactly why I do what I do. You know, yes, I'm passionate about these products. Uh, I personally love them, but that's why I feel the need to let other people experience them as well. Because, you know, if it's something I, I know what it's like to find a product that you love and that can just make your everyday life just a little bit happier. You know, when I put this product on in the morning, I still get giddy from it and get happy. Um, and people don't realize, you know, just how tightly um, our scent is tied to our memories. You know, that is the strongest sense that we have that's tied to memories. And so being able to have a special fragrance, you know, from your travels or um, on a special occasion or for your wedding day or for, you know, some kind of event um, and continue to wear that scent, it really pulls you back to those times. Uh, and that's what I love is I try to, you know, help people feel that emotion that they can connect with, with the fragrance. Um, but then also, you know, continue to feel that like those little day-to-day -day luxuries. I believe that, you know, we should be focused more on that every day. Mm. And, and for the founders and entrepreneurs out there that are just getting started out, or maybe they're, you know, they're a couple months in, what kind of advice can you give them from the years of experience that you've got? Um, yeah, I've realized now, gosh, I've been, um, you know, working for myself for almost 10 years now. And, um, I will tell you from going, you know, from the multi-level marketing company to, you know, 
owning a company that I didn't love to now owning a company that I, I just love what I do. Um, I think that's going to be one of the biggest things is if you're starting a company, make sure that you know why. You know, there has to be some kind of passion behind it because that's what's going to keep you going whenever the times are tough and times are going to be tough. There's no, you know, skyrocket to success with business um, unless you have a miraculous angel investor come in and give you millions of dollars. But, you know, some of us bootstrap our businesses starting, like I said, with five hundred dollars. Um, I've never taken on investors, uh, you know, or, or business loans or anything like that. Um, and I just continue to, you know, every time I make a little bit of money, I put it back in to the business um, and be able, been able to maintain it that way and grow it steadily that way. And it's been a healthy rate of growth because of that. So I definitely tell people, make sure that, you know, you, you care about what you're doing because that's what's going to keep you going. Um, that you can wear all the hats in the beginning, you know, figure out what parts you're good at, what you need to hire people for. I realized quickly, I'm not great at social media. It's not my strong suit. And so I hired a social media uh, or a a marketing team. Um, I use interns because that's where my background in loving education and mentoring comes in because I get to mentor them and teach them, um, you know, how to apply what they've learned in school, you know, as business students or marketing students, I then get to teach them how to apply that to real life business. Um, so just little things like that of finding, you know, what your weaknesses are, hiring out for those. But I still believe in learning how to do everything yourself first um, so that whenever you do hire people to do those other steps, you at least know what they're doing, too. Um, you know, it's very hard to manage somebody when you have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. So I think it's OK to, you know, make some mistakes along the way, learn you know, what you need to do and then start to source out, you know, whether it be. Uh, employees, interns, contractors, whatever you need at that point to be able to, you know, hire to continue to keep the work, you know, moving um, so that you can continue to grow your business versus just working. They always say if you're working in your business, you're not working on your business. Um, And so, you know, make sure that you're not sitting there just doing the day to day tasks. You know, once your business starts to grow, uh, make sure that you continue to focus on the growth of your business. Yeah. And you said, somewhere in there you said about preparing for the time when times get difficult Hmm. I wonder if you have an example of when times were difficult for you and how you overcame them um I mean obviously the pandemic is an easy one to say um but in general with that that just meant that I really had to pivot from like I said earlier like going from the wholesale you know and having these products in front of people to then being an online company I really had to you know beef up our website I had to uh you know, hire for social media, you know, the social media interns to be able to really start doing marketing um, because we're no longer in person in front of people to sell it. Um, so I had to get, you know, our name out there somehow. So um, anytime you're hit with one of those, you know, obstacles or something that kind of says, okay, you're not going to be able to do this the way you thought you were, you know, uh, maybe somebody told you no, that you thought you were going to get a yes from early on. Um, there's always ways around those roadblocks. And so doing your research, figuring out other ways to continue moving forward, um, I think that's most important. A lot of people, you know, try to work through something rather than try to work around it. And I think, you know, if I would have tried to continue to figure out how to wholesale my products during the pandemic, that never would have worked, you know, because a lot of things were closed for a year um, or more. And so figuring out that, you know, really making my online presence um, a lot more robust Um, because of that, instead of selling, you know, mostly just around the Tampa Bay area, 
we now have customers and I think we're in 45 states and 12 countries. Um, and, you know, we may not have had that had I stuck solely with, you know, kind of our local community. Um, expanding online really helped us, you know, expand our reach and become um, hopefully one day a household name. I'm sure I know we're not there yet, but we will be. So, yeah, I mean, knowing when to pivot is is a great skill to have as an entrepreneur. You know, yeah. you have to be conscious of what's not working, what is working. And, you know, it sounds really easy to say, oh, just do the things that are working. But it's like, you know, if you waste your time doing all the stuff that you think might work versus focusing on the one thing that does work, you might miss out on opportunities like what you did now. You're like, right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can't sell to the wholesalers. I'm going to have to go online. I'm going to have to, you know, just sort that side of things out. And you, you figured it out. And that's, I think that's a really kind of common skill amongst all entrepreneurs is being able to figure skills out, you know, just not, not even through any kind of knowledge or anything, just trying a thing and, and paying attention to what works. Yeah, I think that's where you just have to listen, you know, to what's going on around you. And um, I'm like I said, my degrees are in public health. And so when it comes to business, I'm self-taught, you know, and I learned a lot just from like watching webinars and every platform that I use, they usually have, you know, a little like academy or something that, you know, lets you learn how to use their platform better. I would just start taking those classes and, uh, you know, just learning, okay, you know, this is the next step. This is what I have to do and and figuring out how to do it. Um, That's, being an entrepreneur, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to learn. Um, if you are rigid in your own thoughts and beliefs, you know you're not going to hear your customers or or hear the market. You know, and, and what you need to do next to really keep your business flowing. Yeah, and um, I think something that I'm quite interested in. I know it's it's kind of very a specific question, but I'm wondering what it was yes. like. How do you sell a, a fragrance to somebody that they've never smelled? How do you kind of convince them through social media that this is the smell you need to buy for, you know, 20, 30, 40 odd dollars a box or a bottle? Like, yeah. How, how do you even get that, that through to somebody? <laughs> yeah, that is not easy. Um, that was definitely one of the biggest hurdles that we had. Um, part of it is just letting them know kind of the experience of it. Um, like I always say to people with papyrus oil, I mean, it hits you like you smell it for the first time. And there's so many people that say to me that just kind of, whoa, what is this? Um, In a way that, I mean, it really kind of hits your soul. And it's interesting how, you know, that a fragrance would do that. I never would have said that before smelling this particular one. I never felt that way about fragrances before. um, But this did that to me. And so I realized that if it did it to me, it's going to do it to other people. And so really just trying to explain that there are fragrances out there that are different and that will hit you differently. Um, Customer reviews are very helpful with that. We have amazing customers, very, very loyal customers um, who say the same thing, you know, about our products. Um, The, we, we did start selling a sample pack on our website because we knew that that would at least allow people, you know, to get um, a small sample of each of the fragrances so that they could determine which one was their favorite. Um, and then come back and, you know, buy a full bottle of their favorite after that. Um, but the sample pack was a big hit. Um, and then just really trying to describe to people what they're looking for. You know, if you're if you're looking for something a little sweeter or a little more floral or something very fresh, um, most people have an idea of what they like in terms of a fragrance. If they want something musky or... Um, something a little more um, like green, you know, it's, it's those words and those terms that you really start to figure out 
what people are looking for and just help them decide which of the fragrances we offer that might fit that bill. Um, and so we, we, I don't think I've ever had a customer ask me to return a fragrance because they didn't like the smell. You know, we, we really work hard to make sure that we have fragrances that are very universally appealing um, and that we describe them in a way that people understand what they're going to get. No, lovely. Lovely. You seem to have brought a lot of people happiness, like I said uh, earlier on. And, you know, you said you got that, that good customer feedback and that really kind of warmed your heart. But I'm wondering, what what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Um, I would say as much as I love my company and I love the people love the fragrances, um, I also really enjoy opportunities like this. And I know that sounds cheesy, but um, being able to talk to people and hopefully encourage them with my story. You know, the, the relationship that I was in, um, like I said, became abusive and I wasn't, I was in it for six years. And so it was a very long time. Um, and I really had to relearn a lot about myself, you know, when I got out of that relationship. And so having the opportunity, you know, this business has brought me the opportunity to speak a lot more about that, um, about getting out of an abusive relationship and recognizing, you know, what, what you deserve and, um, really, then helping other people and, you know, trying to inspire them to follow their dreams with like a business and that you can do it with nothing. You don't have to have thousands or tens of thousands or millions of dollars to start a business. You, you know, you really can start small and continue to grow. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it's, it, it feels weird to say, I hope I'm an inspiration to people, but you know, really that's what I would love to be in the long run. Um, I look at some other, you know, business women like Sarah Blakely, who owns Spanx, who I just adore her. And I, she has opened the doors for so many women and continues to mentor women in business and really be kind of that beacon, you know, that we can follow. Um, she's a self-made billionaire, you know, and that's, that's something that women that was unheard of for women, you know, just a couple of decades or years ago, even, um, so it's really something that, you know, I hope to encourage other women to a do what they need to do for themselves. You know, if, if you need to get out of the relationship you're in or out of the job that you're in or whatever it is, um, but then be follow a passion, you know, find a way to, uh, if you want to start a business, just make sure you're passionate about it and, and willing to learn, um, and then just go for it. I didn't have the experience, you know, I, I, I kind of came out of nowhere, but, um, it's something that you can definitely do if you have the heart for it. Where can the people find you online? Yeah, so my company's name is Anakit Luxury Apothecary. Um, Anakit is spelled A-N-U-K-E-T. I know everybody is always curious what the heck that is. Anakit was the Egyptian goddess of the Nile River. And so I wanted to name my company, you know, give the nod back to uh, the Egyptian culture. And so we are online as AnakitLuxury.com. And we are on all social medias. So you can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, Facebook, um, at Anakit Luxury. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.